I will be reading verses 1 through 12. It's found on page 1065 of the Black Pew Bibles. Hear, for this is the word of the Lord. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Growing up, uh, my parents raised me to think through my decisions. Uh, Decision making was key in our household. And as they told me, some of the most, decisions you, most important decisions you'll make will have to do with money. When spending my money, my father always tried, and I emphasize tried, to help me think through and discern between a need and a want. Do you need this or do you just want this. Now, just because they taught me these things doesn't mean I actually made the right decisions. And we know needs and wants sometimes cross paths, don't they? Like we all need to eat, but sometimes it's good to just have a nice juicy steak rather than pasta. We're living in a world now that we can no longer discern and think through what we really need. People are lost in confusion. And we tend to covet our neighbor's wealth and happiness as we believe everyone has a right to all of these things. We believe now that everyone is obligated to have success Happiness, even despite our own choices. 
And God didn't promise to definitely give us any of these things, by the way. When he did promise this, like in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, for, uh, you know, this famous passage. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Well, that passage, notice, that passage was never fulfilled for Israel. Not in this life. That passage was meant for us to look forward to heaven. And what God means by prosperity in that passage is not exactly what you might think it means. So prosperity was never promised. But many of us might think that this mentality is foreign to us. It is foreign to the church. Confusing between a need and a want will never come into this church. We know better. Do we? The world is out there. The world is far away. Especially if you, if you live in an area like this one. The city is far from us. And this way of thinking is only there in the city. I never listen to the radio. I, I, I don't even watch cable. I'm practically a monk. But don't forget, you have your flesh. You have your flesh that teaches you to covet without any outside influence. How many people do you know, maybe including yourself, go to church with a laundry list of wants? In other words, this is what I want in a church. It's usually not what we need in a church. Like sound doctrine, teaching, prayer, sacraments, discipline, and a loving fellowship of believers. It's usually just a want. And since there are so many different kinds of churches out there, you can go church shopping until you find what you want. Try it for a few months and they'll go somewhere else that conforms to your list. And in America, we call this freedom. But we are really bound to a list of wants. And we are never satisfied because we never get what we want. Well, thank the Lord that He knows what we need. He knows what we need. This is what Jesus reveals in our text this morning. For background, Jesus has returned to Capernaum after some days in desolate places trying to escape people who were coming to him from every quarter. The leper spread the news of his healing, making Jesus the most popular man in town. He now returns to his home, which is believed to be Peter's house. But the problem is those crowds had shown up again. They were gathered at the house and there were so many people that there was no room, even, not even at the entrance of the door. But instead of telling them all to leave, what does Jesus do? He was found preaching the word to them. Because that is what he came to do. Preaching was attached to everything he did in his ministry. And it was attached to what he's about to do here at Peter's house. Every time he did something miraculous... He was also teaching and preaching. 
So after hearing of his healings and after hearing his word, four men bring to him a paralytic. Someone who is totally paralyzed. He can't move at all. We're not sure how or why he was paralyzed. Whether it was from a fall or whether it was from an illness. That doesn't matter. But these men run into the same problem I just mentioned. They can't get to Jesus. There are so many people there. The four men can't get the portable bed that is similar to a stretcher through the crowd. So out of desperation, they walk to the side of the house where there would have been a staircase that leads up to the roof. As the house at that time would only be one story high. The roof would have been flat and it was often used as a deck or a porch. That's where you would go after a long day's work to relax and possibly look up at the sky. And in those days, it was well made. It was sturdy. It would have been made with large beams of wood, sticks, and reeds interwoven and sealed with mud. And this mud, once it dries, it hardens. And once it hardens, it becomes as hard as cement. So out of their desperation to get him to Jesus, these men undergo a demolition project. You could imagine them hammering through this cement-like clay, hammering into this roof until they are able to get an opening large enough to let down this bed on which the paralytic lay. You kind of feel bad for Peter at this point. His house just got demolished. But I think that wasn't on his mind at this point. He was walking with the Messiah. And whatever it takes, whatever it takes... For his ministry to go forward. I don't think Peter was all that worried. Now this act on the part of these four men. Revealed something about them. The urgency and the desperation. Behind their actions. Comes from somewhere. They would have heard his preaching. And heard of what Jesus could do for people. And so they did whatever it took. To get their friend. To Jesus. What is this a display of? What were they demonstrating? It says, and when Jesus saw their faith. And I believe he was speaking of all four men, including the paralytic. So it would have been all five of them. He saw their faith. He saw their faith and it wasn't limited to just the act. But remember, Jesus knew what was in the heart of men. He saw their actual faith. Faith is often portrayed as this triumphalist declaration. That's, that's usually what we see uh, portrayed as faith on you know, the TV with televangelists. But here we see something different. Here we see A desperate faith. A faith that is desperately going to Jesus. How often do we speak of a faith that is not always fearless, but a faith that is desperate for Jesus, that recognizes that it is often weak and recognizes that we have nowhere else to go but to Jesus. 
A faith that is not always so happy-go-lucky. Yes, yet like these men, they were confident that Jesus could heal this man. And they were determined to get to him. Confident that Jesus had an answer to their problem. Now, they may have not known at this point who Jesus was exactly. But they believe that God had sent him. And that God was using him. And how did Jesus respond to this desperate faith? He first gives him what he needs. He turned to the paralytic and said in the most personal and merciful way, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now you could have imagined what was going on in the minds of the four men at this point. Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, but he can't walk. He's paralyzed. We brought him so you you can make him walk again. And you say, what? He doesn't need forgiveness. He needs to be healed. He needs to walk again. Remember the distinction between needs and wants. Now, don't get me wrong. Illness and sickness and disease, they need to be treated. That is a need. They're not wants. The paralytic had a need to be healed. But there is a greater need than the need to be healed. There is a greater need that you and I need. There is a greater need for all mankind, greater than health, wealth, and prosperity. Our greatest need is that we need to be forgiven. We need the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus knew that. Jesus doesn't forgive him just for the sins that he committed uh, against other men. But Jesus here forgives him of his sins against God. Because all sins are ultimately against God. I'm sure you probably have a, a long list of people that you need to forgive. And I'm sure there's just as long of a list of people that need to forgive you. But what we need above all is for God to forgive us. We can't forgive anyone unless God forgives us. We hardly think of that relationship, do we? And it is the most important relationship that we ought to think of first. We only think of human relationships. As long as I'm okay with my friends and family, then that's all I need. Because we often think that God is okay with our sins. We think that He is not offended by our sins. He just overlooks our faults and mistakes. I don't need forgiveness. He doesn't see that. He only sees when I'm good. That is how deceived we can be. That is how deceived we truly are. But he is offended by our sin. 
and he hates it. And Jesus recognizes and acknowledges that before healing, this man needs forgiveness. Because without it, he will have to answer to God, which is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing. Now, whether or not this man's paralysis was due to his own personal sin is not very clear. It could be, but what is most important for us to know and the the point that we need to know from this text is that we need God to forgive us before anything else. Because every time we sin against God, we're saying to His face, I do not want to have anything to do with you. Now imagine you said that to a friend or family member. And how difficult it would be to try to get that person to forgive you and have them back into your life. Now imagine we do this every day to God. And yet Jesus says to this paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And understand this, only God can forgive sins committed against Him. Only God can forgive sins that are committed against Him. And guess who picks up on this? Notice the scribes were just sitting there listening. They didn't care for the paralytic. They didn't care what was going on because they didn't care about people. But Jesus cared for the people. He just gave this man his greatest need in his entire life. That is forgiveness. Because without forgiveness from God, there is something worse than paralysis that is coming from, for this man. Without forgiveness from God, you will experience the wrath of God in hell for all eternity. This is why it is our greatest need. And the scribes were just sitting there. Not speaking, but questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In the translation, God alone here is saying the God who is one. Or the God who is unique. Mark put that there on purpose. He was showing that these guys were theologians. They knew their God of the Old Testament. And these were the greatest theologians of their day. They knew their Old Testament very well. They knew that only God can forgive sins. And they were right. They were right. For Jesus to say he has forgiven this man's sins, he is making himself to be God. Now, the common people around him would have said, huh, what is he talking about, forgiven? Uh, I don't get it. But the theologians knew what what he was saying. And he was threatening the uniqueness of God, at least to the scribes. And get this. The priest only acknowledges forgiveness of sin through the sacrifices of atonement in the temple. And this is the beginning of a hostile, 
opposition coming from the Jewish leaders. And they will eventually have a role in the ultimate sacrifice necessary for the forgiveness of sins. That is, they will eventually put Jesus Christ on the cross to die as a ransom for the sins of many. And for what sin do they crucify him for? Well, they, they crucify him for many sins. But the most important one, in their minds, was blasphemy. Blasphemy. That is, the chief sin that Jesus dies for is because he claimed to be God. And this is where it begins. They picked up on what Jesus implied when he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. He was making a divine claim. And they had the right theology, but they had the wrong conclusions. The reason why they questioned him was because they believed that Jesus was just a man. They concluded wrongly. That is the same conclusion of any and every false religion. That Jesus is just a man. And getting that wrong will cost you eternity. It will cost you an eternity. But he is not just a man. He is God as well as man. That is why he can forgive sins. Also another point to note. Is that these scribes. Couldn't believe that God would be so gracious. They couldn't believe that God would just mercifully forgive this man's sins. These religious leaders were known for withholding forgiveness of sins from the people. As if they truly could. They were unforgiving, unloving, and used to their made-up religious system. And they used that system to withhold forgiveness and to manipulate they even withheld them from being healed on the Sabbath. They were merciless. And they weren't gracious at all. They couldn't cope with a merciful God. They thought it to be an offense. Because they were alone holy. And no one can enter that circle. We ought to beware. That as Christians, we do not fall into that category. So far, we see that Jesus forgives sins. That's the first point. Secondly, we see just as he, he forgives sins, just as God forgives sins. Now, Jesus, who knows all things and can see the hearts of all men, sensed in his spirit that they questioned in themselves and he doesn't correct them. Notice, he doesn't correct them. He knew they were right. He knew they were right in their questioning. So he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Then he asks a trick question. This question, you're really not supposed to have an answer to. It was a question that was supposed to get at the heart of the issue. It was to, it was to trap them. Even for us when we read it, it's not for us to say, well, I think one is easier to... No, it's not for us to even decide that. 
It was a trick question. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Jesus didn't believe that one was easier to say than the other. They were both easy to say. To say someone's sins are forgiven is easy to say, but it is not easy to prove. Because only God knows who is forgiven, since it is only God who forgives sins. And to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, is also easy to say. But it is difficult to demonstrate. Because it requires a divine miracle to take place. So yes, both statements are easy to say. One is not easier than the other. But both statements require God to intervene. Both statements require God. Since it's only God who can forgive sins and only God who can heal this paralytic. What do you think he was implying? What do you think he was implying? And some people actually believe that Jesus never claimed to be God. Here, even the enemies of Jesus understood what he was saying. Well, what what happens next? He not only says it, but he also proves it. He proves it. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Let us stop there. He just said a mouthful. There are a couple key points here. First, he calls himself the Son of Man. And secondly, the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Which to them would sound like someone apart from God has the authority to forgive sins. So to the scribes, it sounds like Jesus is contradicting the scripture and what the Old Testament teaches that only God can forgive sins. Even today, even today, this has been believed. Many people believe that someone apart from God can forgive sins committed against God. Many people believe that what Jesus is saying here is that all of mankind out of genuine mercy, has the authority to forgive sins. And this is what is meant when he says, the Son of Man. He is speaking of all of the sons of men. Now has the authority to forgive sins. Some people believe that Jesus is just making a way for men to forgive sins because the religious leaders were so so corrupt and they were withholding forgiveness. So to them, what Jesus came to do is not to save people from their sins, but to make men into little g gods who would have authority to forgive sins on earth. These are the same people who teach that we can speak things into existence. So now, we can just go around and say, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. It doesn't matter if you believe or not, you're forgiven. And just hand out forgiveness. But that is not 
what Jesus is teaching here. He is not saying that. We are not gods who have authority to forgive sins like Jesus here. He does give authority to the church in what is called the keys of the kingdom, that when whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, meaning we have been given authority to grant or withhold forgiveness. But there are certain conditions to be met. We don't just go around and pick who we want to be forgiven and say, yep, you're forgiven, but you're not. No, that, that's not what is meant there. There are certain conditions The conditions are whoever believes in Jesus will be forgiven and whoever doesn't will be condemned. And it involves church discipline and the like. So here Jesus is not trying to elevate man. He is not referring to mankind when he says the son of man. He is referring to himself only as the son of man. It is the title for him alone as he represents a new redeemed humanity. And to understand what the Son of Man means, we must go back to what we read earlier in Daniel chapter 7. Halfway through Daniel chapter 7, after the vision of the four beasts, Daniel gives us his vision of God after the beasts were killed. This is a similar vision that we see throughout the Old Testament. This vision of God. We think of Jacob's ladder. Ezekiel's vision of God. And then we see it ultimately in John's revelation. When he stands in the presence of Jesus. In the vision in Daniel, there are two persons described. The first is called the Ancient of Days, who is described in summary form as God. Here he is described as God, one who is divine. The second is one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Whenever the scriptures mention a figure coming on the clouds of heaven, every time it is referring to God. But here he is like a son of man. He is in human form. You're probably asking, why is he said to be like a son of man? Well, first, because he wasn't one of the four beasts. That's important. He's not a beast. And secondly, he has divine authority. His authority has divine origins as he is exalted and presented before the Ancient of Days. And there, the Ancient of Days gives to the Son of Man dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So there, you have two distinct persons with the same origins and the same authority, both Sharing in divine power and glory, which God has promised never to share with anyone. The Ancient of Days gives authority to the Son of Man and sends him to do his work. And that is what is going on in this passage. He sends him to do his work. And what Daniel 7 is saying 
is that the Son of Man before the throne is both human and divine. And that it is a picture of the Father sending the Son to do His work. So when he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth, he is saying, I am not entirely like you, O man. I am not from earth. My origins are in heaven from my Father. And his authority is my authority, as it has been given to me, so that I may come and judge those on earth. I have authority on earth, just as God does, for what? To forgive sins. He is saying he has the same authority on earth as God does. For he is God and he fulfills what Daniel has said. He is saying that God's judgment is here and God's forgiveness is here. Because God is here in Jesus. So Jesus doesn't just declare his sins forgiven. He wasn't speaking positive things into existence. He didn't believe that negative vibes kept this person paralyzed. As many believe today. That's pagan. That's pagan. We don't exist based on vibes. No negative or positive vibe is going to forgive your sins. You need Jesus. What he is doing here, he is actually forgiving the sin of the paralytic because all of the paralytic sins are sins against Jesus. He has the right to do that. He has the authority to do that. He has the power to do that. And all of our sins, even our sins that we commit against one another, are sins against Jesus. Now think of that for a moment. All of it are sins against Jesus. And to prove to the scribes that he has this authority, he turns to the paralytic and says, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, Jesus actually does speak things into existence because he is God. He is God. And he just proved it. He wasn't saying just positive words. And it says, He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. See, they knew it was God that was at work in him, and they glorified God. Even if they didn't know at this point that Jesus was God, but they knew that it was God behind this all, that he was using them, using him. He just proved that he has the authority to forgive sins. By what grounds? By the grounds he just healed this man out of nothing. He just spoke and he rose up. His words have divine authority and power. So the point of this passage is not so much the healing. The point of this passage is forgiveness. 
Forgiveness. This is what this man needed. The healing was only used to prove that he had authority to forgive. Because forgiveness is what brings true healing. Especially for us in the Christian life. To hear that you are forgiven is what brings true healing and power in the Christian life. If not, we would always be living in despair over our sin. Now imagine the reaction of the scribes at this point. Knowing that their role was soon coming to an end. They would continue to oppose Jesus. And we will see this throughout the letter. But as we look at this text, what should we ask ourselves when confronted with it? Well, first, do you have faith in Jesus? Not a generic faith that hopes for the best in this life. Not a generic faith in positive things. But do you have a desperate faith for Jesus? Knowing that without him, you are in a hopeless state. There is nowhere else to go so that you can be healed, restored, and renewed. Nowhere. Fully. Most importantly, if you do not have faith in Jesus then you are in what is called a bad relationship. I I prefer better to say you are not in a loving fellowship with God. You are not forgiven of your sins. And tell me, which one of us does not need forgiveness? Do you acknowledge that you too, just like this paralytic, need forgiveness of sin, not just from other people, but from God? First, because first and foremost, you have sinned against him. And Jesus was sent here for the forgiveness of sin. In fact, he was given authority to forgive sin. And he seals it when he sacrificed himself as an atonement for sin and died to bring sinful men forgiveness. This is what we need most. And how much you see your own need of forgiveness is how much you truly understand the gospel. If you don't think you need forgiveness, then you'll never think you need the gospel. And you'll come week after week saying, oh, the gospel again? Yeah, again, and again, and again. And Lord willing if I'll live that long, at your funeral as well. The gospel. This is what we need most. See, the scribes thought forgiveness was for other people and not for themselves. They needed to forgive people. People didn't need to forgive them. They were too high above that. In the meantime, we fill our entire lives with things that we think we need. We think we need affirmation from others. We think we need God to fix all our problems and heal all our diseases right away. We think we need self-esteem and success. 
and how often we miss what we truly need. We see it on a daily basis as the Bible shows us what we need. When others confront us because of our sin with just cause against God or against them. And what happens when people confront us in our sin? What do we do? We're automatically on the defense. Why? Because we don't really believe we need forgiveness. We don't believe we're wrong. At the end of the day, it's unbelief. It's pride. It's pride. And we miss the point. We miss what we truly need. We need to be forgiven first before all other things. That is our deeper need. And what a relief it is to hear from God our Savior that we are forgiven. Martin Luther uh, said the one remnant that he wished he kept from the Roman Catholic Church was the confessional. Not because he believed that priests could actually declare someone forgiven without the conditions met, but because we all need to hear that Jesus has forgiven you your sins. That he has forgiven you. That you're free. What a relief it is to be forgiven of the guilt that we carry every day. And he says it in his word that if we repent and believe in Jesus Christ, then through the cross we will be forgiven of our sins. Totally. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone and seek to repent of your sins daily, then I declare unto you, beloved, your sins are forgiven you. So in closing, we should think. Think through this passage. Think through our own sin. Repent. Turn to God. That is our ultimate need. Have we realized that? That we have sinned. Even now in our Christian walk. And to ever think we haven't. We would be blinded. Amen. Let us pray.